anymore. It's a crime podcast, babe. That is true. Um, so, yay. Okay, we're ready to rock and roll. So, uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, episode two. Hello. <laughs> um, yay, we made it. I guess <laughs> one down, second one to go. Uh, yes, again, uh, my husband is here with me, Hunter, my co-host, who listens to my craziness. Hello. Um, Sorry. I'll stop Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I can I mean, never do just as good. I feel like everybody who's in our age range will get it. If they're younger, maybe not so much. Worth watching, though. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can just jump right into it. This is Coast to Coast Crime. We're on episode number two. Um, I realized the last episode uh, I probably should have kind of put in, like, a warning early on. Like, um, oh, I don't know, warning graphic content. It kind of uh, goes without saying, but maybe not. So... But I'll throw that out there this time. Dead bodies are included in this episode. Mm-hmm. And wait, there's more. Um, so, yes, warning graphic content. I think that's probably going to be moving forward. It won't always be murder, but just so everybody knows. And the reason I'm saying that is because uh, I went with this particular murder for this week because it was kind of a whodunit crime. Oh, hello. Much better. We're working out the kinks, a.k.a. I'm working out the kinks. Hunter knows what he's doing. Um, So I went with this murder because it was more of a whodunit. But in the process, I realized that there was a reoccurring theme this week, which happens to be dismemberment. So I'm sorry. Why do you Um, like cutting up bodies so much? I don't. It was just the case was very intriguing. And then I went, oh, my God, two times in a row. Is this like a quadruple murder like the last no, one? No, I went with – it's a singular. It's just one one woman. Um, okay. But, yeah, hopefully a little easier to follow. I figured pull it back a little bit. So uh, let's get started. My sources for this are honestly primarily – I literally primarily just used The Last 24, Deadly Currents. It's season one, episode nine. Um, they did a really great layout of this, I thought. So it's kind of just – I don't, I want to give them full credit. I loved how they did it. I also got a little bit from a show called Swamp Monster or Swamp Murders, River Monster, season four, episode three. Um, but I think, you know, the last 24 really kind of killed it, pun intended. Um, so uh, this is the murder of Mary Stetson. So this takes place um, in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's a blue collar, former mill town, and it sits on uh, on the banks of the Piscataquag River. Yes, I had to spell that phonetically. I'm pretty sure I didn't mess it up, but sorry if I did. Um, So Tuesday, July 20th, 1999 was a very hot day and there were swimmers out in the river. Um, They happened to notice a gym style bag floating in the water and being curious, one of the swimmers decided to pull the bag ashore and looked inside. To their horror, they saw what they thought originally was either the body of a child or an infant. Wait. This is a public area where you swim? Yeah, so the <laughs> the Piscataquag River runs through Manchester, New Hampshire. And apparently people, they fish, they swim, they just, it's kind of... That's they just, drop off dead bodies. And yes, and then they also do that. It's a very happening place, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's bumping. Um, okay. So they cut to Lieutenant Mark Putney and Detective James Susie, and they're called to the scene at the Piscataquag River. And upon further inspection of the bag's contents, they realize it's a torso of a woman, not a child, in the bag. 
And sorry again for the torso theme. I swear next week you I won't and do this. body parts. I won't do it next time. I'll go maybe a bank robbery. Is there I like a know. gentle murder that goes that happens? Well, I could go with like a, a different drowning? crime. That's okay. a gentle murder. I don't know. I don't God. know these things. I'm learning along I'm the way. Moron. Um, okay, so no gentle murder. Oh, hi, pup. Um, yes, we're dog peeps. Okay, so uh, Mark Putney said he had never seen anything like that in his 30 year career. The Manchester PD started searching around the area, hoping to find the remaining body parts. They said in the show that detectives are obligated to search for body parts in cases where they're missing in hopes that they can provide a sense of closure for family and loved ones. But um, also because they can provide additional evidence, which is so funny. They have to put in there that they're required to do that because I feel like, would it, would you not? I mean, it's <laughs> like, just common sense. Like, if something's missing, you definitely go looking for it. But well, we found half your wife. Yeah, like, I think we're good fine. here. <laughs> Nothing more to see. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, they ultimately, they were unable to find the other body parts, which led them to believe the crime was committed elsewhere. And the body was dumped in the river, which who dismembers a body at a river? I don't know. But you got to look at all different venues. Yeah. They noted that the only identifiable mark on the torso was uh, the tattoo on the right shoulder, and it said Mary. So earlier that morning, they had actually received a call reporting a woman named Mary Stetson missing by her oldest daughter, Tamara. And after connecting the dots, the officer picked Tamara up and took her down to the station. Um, And in the show, she actually commented that on the way down, she saw helicopters and lots of police activity by the river and just kind of thought to herself, like, oh, my God, what's going on? Having no idea that she was kind of at a far seeing the crime scene where her mother's body was found. Um, Once she was at the station, officers had to explain what happened to her mother and that they had recovered her torso. Tamara says that's when her life completely changed. Mary had five children and four of which still lived at home. Um, Ooh, we have ghost activity in here. Lights are flickering. Um, So this blow was just beyond devastating, knowing that she had four kids that were still completely dependent upon her. Mary was described as a wonderful mom and a great provider. She worked at a local cable company and was said to be beautiful inside and out. The family couldn't fathom who would want to hurt her. Hmm. Yeah. So low risk victim. There's no real reason. My guess is ex-lover. Funny you should say that. Oh, did I I get it? Did I ruin this? No. No. Damn. No. I said who done it. Not he did it. Um, Okay, so now the main focus was trying to establish a timeline of her disappearance. Mary had gone out on the night of the 18th, but never came home, which was not normal. She was last seen at 5.45 p.m. on the 18th, and her torso was found on the 20th. It was believed that there was a 24-hour period from the time of her murder to the disposal of her body. Most likely, the murder occurred late on the 18th or really early on the 19th. Okay. So on the show, uh, a doctor named Dr. Jane Turner, who is a forensic pathologist, said that when a body is in water, it makes it hard to determine the cause of death and time of death because the water can accelerate decomposition. So it also might, you know, take off skin or hair. Injuries from boats can make it look like a cutting or a stabbing before they died, etc., So it can lead them in all different weird directions. Um, So after doing a full autopsy, the medical, well, as much as they could, the medical examiner determined that uh, the cause of death was actually multiple stab wounds to her chest cavity. In all, they counted 12 of them, which shows rage. 12 stabs to the chest. Yeah. 
So they're thinking major rage because if it was something more simple, more simple, quote unquote, if murder can be simple, it would be less of a count. But it stabs to the chest, not stabs to the back. Yeah, directly to the chest. So Mm. that kind of gave them some some inklings about the type of person that might have committed this. Um, A personal kill. (laughs) Sorry. Maybe stay. (laughs) Hang in there. The dismemberment was almost done surgically with clean cuts. They started to wonder, could it be somebody in the medical field or maybe even a butcher? So the officers start looking for someone who would know how to take apart a body. Their thought is, could you know that level level of depravity possibly show it's a serial murder? It's not just a one and done kind of person. So that's an avenue they're looking into. So because of that, they decided to check with other police departments around to see if they had any other similar crimes, thinking maybe they could develop a pattern. But there was nobody else in the jurisdiction that had any type of similar cases or matches. So that kind of just went to the wayside. Um, Mm. Yeah. Now they start looking into Mary's relationships. Here you go. Okay, hang tight. They they went to her oldest daughter, Tamara, 22 years old, uh, for more information. Mary's ex-husband was not a suspect. They had a good relationship. Apparently things were completely chill. Yeah, no bad blood. How is it a good relationship if he's the ex-husband? I don't know. You've never had an ex that you didn't hate? Yeah. Ah, Bazinga. Oh, man. Nah, that's right. Fine, fine. Come on. Right. <laughs> yes, they had a good relationship according to her daughter. So he, you know, he's kind of X'd out of it. Um, on the afternoon of the 18th, though, Mary was supposed to go on a date with a guy, and they called him different names in different shows. They called him Chris, they called him Jeff. I'm going to call him Chris. His name could be Bob, but we're going with Chris. Bojangles. Got Bojangles. So she's supposed to go out with a guy on the 18th named Chris, but he didn't show. So Mary was kind of the I ain't waiting for anybody type of woman. She said, I'm going. I'm going out with or without a man because she was just like that, her daughter said. And a men. So she said, screw it. She left at 5.45 PM in a taxi on her own. And weirdly, her date showed up less than an hour after she left asking where Mary was. And, you know, he had a quick conversation with Tamara. She said, hey, my mom left. She went downtown. He said, cool. Then he left kind of under the idea of maybe he'd go try to find her in one of the bars down there, too, because it's like a kind of just like a bar row, like where a lot of people go to hang out. Um So now they decided, like, we need to identify who the date was. So her family described him to the detectives as having blue eyes, short blonde spiked hair with a slender build. A Ken doll. Yes, a Ken doll. Okay. Whoever the actor is, by the way, in that show, his eyes were like blue. Like, yeah, yeah, piercing. Got him from the Barbie factory. I was very, I was (laughs) was like, wowzers, dude. All right. Uh, So they bring in a forensic artist and Tamara helped them develop a composite sketch of Chris. Then they distributed the uh, composite sketch all around town, but no one identifies him and he doesn't come forward. Now there are no good leads from the sketch being put out there, which they did not expect. So they move on to examine the next part of her timeline. Detectives talked to the taxi driver who picked Mary up and confirmed that he dropped her at a bar um, and that he actually saw her go into the bar around 6 p.m. It was on Lake Avenue and the bar was kind of known to be Mary's spot. Like that's where she always went. 
So officers brought in Mary's picture to the bar and they learned that she had some drinks and they saw her with someone that night. They compared the description of Chris to the person seen with Mary that evening, but it was not a match. The guy at the bar had brownish hair, was a little older. Um, so now they're going, okay, well, then who is this guy? Like, who's this person? Who's this dude she's supposed to go out with? So now there's two unknown males that she's had interaction with, which was a pain in the butt. How do you track that at a bar? Uh, you know what? She's she's playing the field. Oh, no. She, sh- she should. I'm all about it. Good but they're just her. trying to figure out, like, what's going on because now they have an unknown, two unknown guys and, like, conflicting things. And it's just like a whole... Okay. Okay. So the officers decide that they're going to start speaking with people in the bar. And people recall that that night, the guy that she was with was really trying to win her over, like going all out. And that he actually bought her a teddy bear off of like, you know, somebody came in selling like roses and bears and he bought her a bear. Classic. But the weird thing about the bear is that it only had one eye. And it stood out to people. They were just because it was that unusual that patrons of the bar actually saw that the one eyed bear was like, oh, that's weird. But Mary seemed content. So like, whatever. Um, So Mary and this guy are seen leaving the bar around 11 p.m. that night. And then, boom, her trail runs cold. That's it. With the guy and the one-eyed bear. With the guy and the one-eyed bear. It sounds like the start of a very interesting movie. I don't know. <laughs> it's just... I mean, that would be something kind of easy to see, I would guess. Oh, but I'm um, Ching. Eye jokes. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, ooh, we'll be I here all him. night. <laughs> While they're trying to piece together the rest of what happened that day, they find out from Tamara that Mary had gone to the market earlier in the day to talk to its manager, Eddie. One of Mary's daughters worked there, and allegedly Eddie had made an inappropriate comment and maybe touched her daughter. So Mary was like, fuck that. And she went down there to kind of confront him. And they were wondering, you know, if she went down there to tear him a new one, Tamara wondered, well, maybe that he had something to do with it. Maybe she really rubbed him the wrong way and he had like revenge. The officers considered that maybe she went back to the store at that night after she left the bar to confront him again and that things got out of hand, but they thought, you know, okay, Eddie might be the first such suspect. So they go to speak to him to get an alibi. And he did confirm for a fact that Mary came in earlier that day and that they had a little bit of a heated conversation, but you know, nothing crazy. Then she left. He said he closed the store at 11, he gave another employee a ride home, and then he went home himself. They actually wound up speaking with uh, the employee that he said he gave the ride to and spoke to the person he was living with at the time and both corroborated his story. And his roommate also said he came home when he said he did. He never left again. Like it's completely corroborated. And Eddie was completely ruled out. So their first, what they thought could be a lead just came up as a dud. So Eddie's clean. Eddie is clean. Okay. Um, they also, however, interview another employee of that same market who is named Billy. And he gives a confusing t- uh, statement and suggests that when Mary came in to the store earlier, she was flirtatious with him and said she would be back between 10 and 11. But officers are confused. Like, why would you try to agree to, like, go on a date with somebody when you're there to confront the manager about assaulting your daughter, allegedly, like that just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So come to find out through some investigating, Billy was an alcoholic and had some other issues, but you know, they made an alarming discovery, which was Billy worked in the deli as a butcher. And remember they, yeah, they were saying it was somebody who seemed to be skilled with a knife. It looked almost surgical. Billy, the butcher, Billy, the butcher, (laughs) 
So he could have the skills to cut up a body and, you know, was familiar with working with, you know, doing things along those lines. So the police requested to see what happened on the CCTV footage and co-figure, like always, it was not working. Every time I watch a show and they're like, we wanted the footage. Camera doesn't work every single time. People check your freaking cameras. I feel like the owners of the CCT company, CCTV companies need to start making a stand and be like, our cameras are actually dependable. Yeah. These people are just lying out of their yeah. ass or idiots. No, I mean, I see it constantly and it drives me bananas. Because I'm pretty sure CCTV is supposed to be a very dependable item. That's why they use it everywhere. That is why they use it. But I swear, I, if I had a circuit. dime for every time I've watched a crime show and they've been like, they requested the footage, but the cameras were down. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, um, so now they're thinking, was that an accident that the cameras were off? Was it on purpose to hide what happened that night? You know, so having those that footage could have been a major, major breakthrough in their investigation. But instead, they need to dive th- further into what unfolded that night because now they're like... Great. That went out the window. It is then determined after doing some digging that the camera not working actually did seem to be legitimate and nothing fishy. So they searched the store. They tried to see if there's any evidence of a crime maybe that occurred there. There was zero evidence and they did as much as they could and had to rule Billy out as well. So now Eddie and Billy, the butcher, are both gone. Hmm. I know. Then, curveball, out of the blue, Chris, remember him? Date guy that didn't show up and showed up? Kendall. Kendall. Kendall showed up at the police department out of the blue. And they said on the show, the composite was spot on. Like, it was him. Hmm. Um, The officers are weary that he somehow is connected to the murder, though, due to the fact that he didn't come forward sooner. And there's no way he didn't see his sketch because they posted that composite all over the entire city. So, you know, it took him so long to come forward. They're thinking, well, this guy would have had plenty of time to get rid of any evidence and dispose, you know, of whatever to cover up a crime. So they decide they're going to grill this guy because they think he knows something. He said he didn't have a reason for not coming forward earlier or for why he didn't go to work the day after the crime. So apparently he gets ditched. He goes out. He doesn't show up to work the next day. So they're thinking, well... (laughs) You're hiding a body. You're chopping up a body. Yeah. Whatever. You didn't even go on a date. He didn't go on a date. What do you got to have that time off for? (laughs) Well, Chris eventually told them that after he missed Mary, he went to a different bar with some friends and his friend actually corroborated that he was with them the whole night. They confirmed that he stayed overnight with the person that he said he did. And he was cleared ultimately as a suspect. I guess they threw a level of just checking all of his different, you know, alibi pieces they put it together and said chris isn't our dude that's what we call a ride or die friend <laughs> that the is, one that yeah. just lies about it and says bro i was with you man i was with you there's there's footage of you at this other place nah man he was here i um, swear it <laughs> they were extremely disheartened that chris wasn't the one that they thought because they really they're like this is it we've got our guy um and now the despair sets in they start thinking are we ever going to catch the perpetrator Chris then weirdly goes from being their suspect to actually being a witness. So he says that night he actually saw Mary walking down the street with another man with long, dark hair, a chiseled complexion, who was probably about in his 40s. He knew it was her by the hat that she always wore. It was her going out hat. It was very distinct. Her daughter talked about it. It was like, that's Mary. 
That matches the description of the man, though, that, that the patrons of the bar said she left with. So now they're with kind the of- With the one-eyed bear. With the one-eyed bear. Told you it'd be easy to see, <laughs> even with one eye. Oh, my God. God, I'm good. Oh, you're so good. Um, <laughs> love you. Mean it. This ne- Okay, now this next little bit, I threw it in anyway because they covered it in the show, but it's like- a little deceiving, and I don't know why they really put it in there, but I said, screw it, I'll put it in anyway. Throw it in there. So their next thing that they they get a weird tip from this dude who calls in and he says, hey, you know, um, there's this guy, Razor, and he was skilled with a knife and the night of the party. Um, Mary was actually hanging out with me and Razor, and, you know, they finally were like, wait, what are you talking about? So they talked to this guy, John. And John Razor. No, no. John and Razor are two totally different dudes. Okay. So John calls in the tip about this guy, Razor. This is totally weird, but they threw it in the show. Sure. So we're rolling with sure. it. Sure. So they talked to the man, Josh, who called in the tip. And he said that he and this guy, Razor, were both at a party the night that Mary died. And they were both competing for Mary's attention. Which, side note, makes no sense unless she was there prior to the bar, which I guess is possible. Okay. She was living her life. Um but the taxi driver said he took her straight to the bar. But I'm not going there. Anyway, this guy, John, said he seemed to be more into Josh than Razor. Razor apparently jumped Josh the next day over it. They go looking for this dude, Razor. They find out he's living in a tent on the river. And they realized, like, they searched and they didn't find knives or any hints of a crime. Um, but they had to follow the lead anyway because that's what you do as a detective. And they find out the Razor is homeless and he actually didn't have a vehicle or a house. So he didn't really have the means to commit the crime um, and dispose of a body. Like, he wouldn't have had a car to take her to the river or anything like that. So, you know, and he didn't fit the description of the man that, um, that she was seen leaving with. And they were like, all right, well, thanks for the tip. Um, So we're going to skedaddle out of here and move along. So they, like, let that lead go. They kind of, um, you know, that goes out the window. And now at this point, the problem is they're starting to worry that the case is going to get cold because they're constantly getting excited. Like, oh, we have this lead. This guy looks promising. And then boom, let down. This guy looks good. Boom, let down. So they're a little bit stressed. Yeah. Um. When, uh, how many days has this been? Do you know? Uh, did I don't think like a week that long? I actually think it was in a matter of days, okay? Because they're saying saying for like the stress relying on, oh, you know what? That's what it is because she was murdered, they said, between the 18th and the 19th. Her torso was found on the 20th, so this is probably within. Oh, days afterwards, like I think they hit it pretty hard after they found her, okay? Okay, um, so. When the cops are starting to think, this is it, like, we're never going to get a break, a new lead actually pops up out of a second missing persons report. They received a late night call from a woman um, named Donna Plick saying that she hadn't seen her ex-husband, Vaclav Plick, in a while. Usually they would talk daily, but she hadn't heard or seen him in a while, and she said that's just not him. So he was last seen... In the early morning hours of July 22nd, two days after they found Mary's body, she was worried that something was wrong or something bad had happened to him. So she called in, you know, to report him. Detectives find out that Vaclav was employed at a deboning factory nearby. They debone chickens. They cut up chickens. They take apart cows, take apart pigs. And he is really good with a knife. I bet. That is what he does for a living. A lot of butchers and body cutters in this Wonderful town. Yes. They realize immediately, hey, this guy is completely capable of making the cuts that we found on Mary's body. So they're like, 
what's up? <laughs> like, let's roll. So Donna um, said that Vaclav was actually extremely violent. He would threaten to cut her up and kill her. Um, that was like his go-to threat was like, I'll cut you up and I'll kill you and they won't find you, that type of stuff. She also said that he would frequent the bars in town where Mary went and even fished in the river by where Mary's body was found. Um, so... <laughs> red All flag, red signs flag, red leading flag. to Vaclav, yes. the knife expert. Vaclav, the deboner? I don't think I like that at all. Ooh, that's Ugh, good. That's I, good. That sounds like a Viking or something. I don't know how I feel about Vaclav that. Vaclav, the deboner. <laughs> oh, my God. And then Donna, who's now cooperating with the police, she actually gives the police a photo of Vaclav. And I might be butchering his name, but it's V-A-C-L-A-V. So Vaclav is how I would assume. V-A-C-L-A-V. Vaclav, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm really bad at pronouncing names. <clears throat> um, yeah. Don't nobody get angry. Um, so when one of the officers saw his photo, he said he couldn't believe his eyes. While he'd actually been walking around the bar that Mary's last seen at and asking patient, uh, patients, patrons, if they recognized the composite sketch, he walked up to a table that had three men at it. And the third man at the table was Vaclav Flick. Hmm. Yes. So he then becomes their prime suspect. They went back to the bar later with a photo lineup to show the bartender and some patrons. And out of like the full photo lineup, everybody picked out Vaclav Plick as the man that she left with. Like they the put him in long haired, like, chiseled features, yeah. so mid forties. Yeah. So they put him in a six pack. They're like, here you go. And out of that lineup, boom. Everybody was like, that's him. Donna showed the officers Vaclav's apartment and they started canvassing the neighborhood around it. They spoke with a neighbor that knew Vaclav and she would actually saw him there with a female that resembled the description of Mary on the night that Mary disappeared. Mm-hmm. Red flag. Uh, two officers entering the main common hallway of the apartment. Uh, they noticed blood in the entryway. So that gave them probable cause to get a search warrant. Vaclav's apartment, initially when they go in, looks normal. Uh, but they did determine that there was evidence instantly that linked Vaclav Plick to Mary. On the bed was her hat that she always wore, as described by Chris. And they also found a teddy bear missing one eye. <laughs> So the teddy bear missing an eye. The icing on the cake to at least put her directly in his apartment, in his room. The teddy bear is technically the smoking gun. It was a smoking eye. Smoking eye. Smoking bear. Um, don't everybody ignore us. I'm mad at myself for that one. I'll, f- I'll find um, something. Don't worry. I'll yeah. Okay. Me. So we'll circle back. We'll circle back. This was the proof that they needed. Mary was definitively in his apartment the night that she went missing. So. Now they just needed the evidence that crime was committed there. They needed to find proof. And they notice in the bedroom, a huge chunk of carpet is cut out. (laughs) Like they showed footage of it on the show and it is, oh, I don't know, the size of a body. Um, So (laughs) So fact uh, looks like this is a human body size. Yeah, that'll work. Um, So that was like, okay, hey. Something horrible happened in this room. That is a telltale sign. And they decided they were going to spray the room with luminol to search for traces of blood. And they said in the show, and it's so sad, but they said when they did, they hit the whole room, they hit the bathtub, they turned out the lights, they hit it with a you know black light. And um, what's it called? The uh, Detective Putney said the room lit up like a Christmas tree. Oh, for sure. There was blood everywhere. Um so he said it was all over the room, it was all over the bathtub, and 
of course, based on that, they could determine that she was killed in his room and dismembered in the tub. Poor thing. I mean, just. And I thought he was a specialist in deboning. Whatever. Well, you can. You think you'd be smarter than that, but okay. Okay. Well, there are things that happen. There's blood. Never mind. I'm not gonna. It was like blood splatter. I get that, but wouldn't you just if you're a special? I mean, this is probably his first murder, so I I would assume he's a novice. He's excited because they didn't say if he used just a knife. I don't know, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, you know, maybe I. I don't know. You're the one with the info. What I you am got? the one with the info. Back up off my notes. <laughs> so, God damn it. Um, Sorry. All right. So now, <sighs> poor Mary, first and foremost. That's just, yes. God, what a horrible freaking way to go. But now they're like, where the fuck is this guy? Because he's completely gone off grid. They have no idea where he is. Um, so they have to basically start a manhunt. So manhunt is literally on to find Black Club. And they are searching all over the United States and somehow by, I mean, a miracle, they found out that he was in Austin, Texas, and they actually were able to ambush him at a gas station in Austin, Texas. Like he didn't even see it coming. Well, that's impressive. Right. I know. And they didn't go too far into that. I wonder if it was either tips being called in or whatever. I wonder if the CCTVs were working at that gas station. Oh, Oh. Uh, wouldn't that be a novel idea? Weird. Um, but now, you know, they get him, they take him back, he's in custody, and they grill Plick about what happened that night, and they realize they now had a perfect timeline of the evening, which is kind of, we kind of already see it developing, but this is what they determined. So Mary, poor Mary, she left her apartment at 545, she took a taxi to the local bar, and she met Vaclav. They had drinks, he bought her the one-eyed teddy bear from hell, then they left and went to his apartment. According to Vaklov, his own words was that she refused his sexual advantage advances and he attacked her, ultimately stabbing her to death. And I mean, the amount of cases of women turning men down and getting killed is unbelievable. So it's just so sad that by just saying no, he decided that she deserved to be killed and dismembered. Like and that's, that's why the just, 12 stabbings to the chest. He happened. was enraged. He was enraged by the, by being turned down. He was already a violent person and he did not handle rejection. Well, um, and then he said, uh, so after he murdered Mary, um, he said he panicked, which we've heard that defense before too. He said he panicked, he dismembered her and then he put her torso in a duffel bag and dumped it in the river. He then drove to another area and dumped the rest of her body parts. The officers asked him to reveal where Mary's other body parts were. And thankfully, which a lot of these guys are dicks, and he's still a dick, but thankfully he decided he would actually tell them. And officers were were able to go out and recover Mary's remaining body parts and most importantly, her head, which is what her family was really wanting because they felt like once they had that, they could actually go ahead and have some closure and finally bury her as a whole because they were just torn up having her not be together. You don't want the, yeah, you don't want it separate. Yeah. So on November 14th, 2000, Vaklov Plick is convicted and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And they interviewed the, you know, the detectives and the last point that they hit on was this case will stay with them for the rest of their lives. You know, that part of New Hampshire, um, they don't, nowhere really has crimes like this, but they do not have crimes like that. Um, 
I mean, how could that not be burned into your brain? And I did read some somewhere, and I don't, I don't remember the source because I, I wasn't positive, but I think he tried to appeal based on like either coercion or that he wasn't read his rights correctly, but they have somewhere online, like the transcripts of him being arrested. And if I read it correctly, the officer's totally Mirandized him correctly. And the, they was, from what I saw, he was. He tried to hit it from like a small loophole. Not like I didn't kill her that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't try to deny that. Well, they, he did. If I, I wish I would have cited what it was. So I'm sorry if you guys, I think it's like a court document that happens to be public online that I saw when I was just searching. Um, And I think it was along the lines of, you know, he said he didn't want to talk and they said, okay, you know, if you say you don't want to talk and I Mirandized you, like you can't talk anymore. And then he kept talking, but they're like, that's against like you're breaking your own rules. So he tried to say like he wasn't properly told when to not talk or whatever. And they're like, no, no, dude, we've got that right here. Like the officer followed the rules. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure you can find more online if you're interested in that case. But yeah, so that was a heavy one. But that is the murder of Mary Stetson um, out of Manchester, New Hampshire. Sorry, Mary. I am sorry, Mary. And I'm sorry to all of you for doing another heavy one with another torso and dismemberment. But I will say that next time I will try to not cover anything in that vein. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe that's what the, <laughs> the fans want is body parts. I mean, I'll well, try to keep coming up keep them yeah. I'll try to keep coming up with names of the potential yeah. suspects. Yeah, that'll be our new thing. We'll start making names for murderers. Krista Ken doll Bogclaw, the asshole. You know. The deboner. Never mind. The deboner. I got to let that one fly. Um, Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, that is our story. I'm sorry. Maybe next time I will not cover another dismemberment. I will try to make it lighter. Unless, um, hey, if you guys don't want it to be lighter, (laughs) you can always email me any types of, you know, crime suggestions or things you might want to hear. Questions, comments, criticism, hopefully not too terrible, but hey, I have thick skin. Like I said, let's do it. Um, you can email us at coast to coast crime at gmail.com. That's coast, then the number two coast crime at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and on Twitter under the same handles. I'm working on it. I promise I'll make them pretty eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, babe, do you have anything to add to the murder world? Men take no as no and go home. I don't know. Yeah. There's other ways to solve that problem. <laughs> Got that right. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. That's a, that. That's a pretty good point to end on. No means no. That's it. Leave it at that. There's no fucking in between. Anyway. <laughs> hey, I mean it. You got to mean it when you say it. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to episode two. Uh, Yeah, we're getting the hang of this. So thanks for being here and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.